This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Amber Kaiser, welcome to the Friday edition of The Point, and I think what I want to do is get right to the point. You've written a book called No More Excuses, and it's how to dismantle the rape culture. Can you explain that to me a little more? Thoroughly. Sure. Thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it. When I talk about rape culture in this book, what I'm talking about are the elements of our regular everyday lives that serve some very specific purposes. They serve to ex- make excuses for male sexual violence and to normalize male sexual violence. And it's actually really hard to talk about rape culture without immediately starting to talk about rape itself. Because rape is something that we all find very upsetting. If you talk to Americans, they will tell you that rape is a crime that is on par with murder. And it's a horrible thing. And yet, within our criminal justice system, only 3% of rapists are ever convicted. So there's a disconnect there. And the disconnect is rooted in rape culture. So it's very hard to have these conversations because we're so embedded in our own culture. It's hard for us to take a step back and reconsider the things that we are seeing on TV or hearing in music or reading in the newspaper or having in conversations or interactions with people in our regular lives. And that's what this book is trying to do. It's trying to detail and parse out those things that we take for granted that maybe we shouldn't. I notice in your book that you mention how often people are, if you mention the word rape, which is an action, how so many people just think it's abhorrent. Right. And what you're talking about is a culture that we've all bought into, a rape culture, which is a noun. It's what we live in, what we subtly, possibly unconsciously support. We are sort of stewed in this uh, system of beliefs and norms that go way back historically um, and are reflected in our culture and reflected in our education, reflected in our governmental systems that makes excuses for violence and for aggression from men. So let's start with a really early example. Um, Lots of us probably had the experience of having a boy tease us in elementary school. And when we complained about a boy who was pulling our hair or snapping our bra or poking us, you know, or grabbing us in the halls. And when we complained about that, maybe an adult said, it probably means he likes you. Okay, so what happens in that instant? It tells a girl that she doesn't have a right to say these things shouldn't happen to her body. Um, and it tells her that you should equate aggressive and physically uncomfortable experiences with affection. That is a dangerous belief that when it is amplified 
um, as we move into adulthood leads to unhealthy, intimate relationships with the opposite sex. It does. And it ignores the feeling that the young girl has right away that, one, he likes you, two, the person who you're reporting to is dismissing it, and that, three, that's okay. Right. That it's just okay. I mean, you mentioned the the behavior now in schools as a result of our president and his open acknowledgement of what he could do as a man in control. You mentioned activities that have gone on at school that appalled me. Right. Do you mind sharing them a little bit? So there has definitely been an uptick in aggressive behaviors at school that do seem to have been directly associated with some of the things that the president said, especially around the Access Hollywood video. Which is Again, part of the rape culture is what you're mentioning in your book. Absolutely, right? Because if the most powerful man in the United States says, you know, you can grab him, you can kiss him, it doesn't matter, you don't even have to ask, that is fundamentally a belief that excuses, you know, male sexual aggression and violence. It's part of rape culture. So, but some teachers and counselors were reporting in their elementary and middle schools that boys were playing things like Grab Tits Tuesday or um, Trump Tag. And Trump Tag was where you ran around and grabbed uh, girls between their legs. That's frightening. That's frightening. And But that, again, is just mirroring this culture because this is something they're hearing at home, comments that they're seeing and listening to on television, And so, again, this culture, you, women wouldn't do this to men, right? Right, right. I mean, when was the last time that you walked into a bar and just thought, oh, that guy's really hot, and you grabbed him in his butt? Yeah, I'd, I don't even think I've done that. Ever? <laughs> Maybe at home <laughs> with a partner, possibly. But, right, I mean, so what is it that is telling men that it would be okay for them to do that. There was a, an interesting report from Coachella, the music festival, where I think the reporter was um, from Teen Vogue, maybe, or Jezebel. But she decided to go through, uh, she was at Coachella, and she just started asking women if anyone had groped or grabbed her while she was at the music festival. And she thought she would just keep asking women until somebody said no. She gave up. Wow. Every single woman that she talked to at Coachella had been grabbed. So where is the, the license to grab coming from, right? And how is that related to then the perpetration of more serious crimes? That's, that's what the book is about, is trying to unpack rape culture in such a way that we understand why men might feel that they have a right to do whatever they want to women's bodies, and then that women might feel like they deserve that, like no one will care if they bring it up so they don't bother, or worse, that they mention it to someone, maybe, uh, you know, could be a man or a woman, and they say, well, what were you wearing, right? What did you do 
that meant that that was an invitation to assault. And do you see how that is such a crazy way to think about it? If, if my wallet is stolen, nobody says to me, what did you do? Right? What, 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 what were you doing that your wallet got stolen? It's not my fault my wallet got stolen, right? And yet if I'm assaulted, that's the first place that many people go. What did she do? What was she wearing? Why is it her fault? You bring that up, and I just happened to see something on YouTube recently where a man was traveling in this city, and he someone lifted his wallet from his pants, and the questions were, what were you wearing? Oh, you were wearing this expensive suit. And and, and how were you acting? Oh, you, you were acting kind of demeaning. You were being a little bit uh, rude or ignorant. So aren't you the one? I mean, you say your wallet. So, so this is the beginning. Tracy Ullman was in the um, YouTube, and it was very funny. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that humor is a wonderful way for us to say, oh, my God, that's true. That's, that, right. that is how we're approaching this. And again, I'm coming back to your point of a rape culture. We can talk about rape. We know what rape is. Or do we know what rape is? That is kind of a question I had earlier. How would you define rape? So rape legally yes. is defined as unwanted um, penetrative sexual contact. And sexual assault is unwanted uh, sexual conduct that is not penetrative. Okay, so... Um, is that clear? It okay. is. It, it is to me. I mean, any it's physical harm. Assault is some form of physical harm, and sec- and rape is penetration. Right. Okay. And the physical harm is um, what gets kind of muddy, in my opinion. Thus, allowing both someone who has experienced a harmful action to question the validity of reporting it. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? It, it does make sense to me. And I do think the way in which we talk and think about sexual interactions is a really key part of understanding rape culture. Because rape culture, as in any culture, whether it's a a culture of how we were raised, a culture of a country we came from, is observed. And you mentioned in No More Excuses that today most young people are getting their sexual education from porn. That's frightening to me. It should be frightening to you and to most parents. And again, coming back to that concept of culture, a culture of rape is being built on teaching our young people because schools are now starting to take out um, their sexual ed, sex ed, correct? So America is a very weird place, right? There is sex and sexual contact, 
content everywhere. Sex. Everywhere. In, in advertising, in the movies, in books, in politics. music, in politics. It's everywhere. And yet we are incredibly repressed when it comes to talking about healthy sexuality. Believe it or not, there was far better national sex education in the 70s than there is now. Uh, the state of sex education in the public education system in America is abysmal at this point. In fact, I opened the paper this morning and read a piece about a school district in Battleground, Washington, who've just decided they are no longer going to offer sex education in the high school because it was upsetting parents. So then parents are, if, if they're listening at all to this conversation, they're not allowing schools to teach it, and their kids are being educated by porn. Well, and parents say, well, that's something that parents should be doing, teaching about sex education, which I agree. But the reality is that most parents are not. So one of my previous books was about a book about sex uh, and teenagers. And the reality is most parents are not having ongoing, healthy, productive conversations about sexual sex and sexuality with their young people. So if it's not in the school and it's not in the home, teens are turning to porn. And what they're learning from porn is influencing the sexual choices that they're making in their own lives in very dangerous ways. So there are girls who are agreeing to sex acts that they do not want to do because they think, well, the girls in porn like it. I probably am supposed to like it. This is what sex is supposed to be like. So, okay. Boys are not having any education in at, talking about consent and asking for consent in sexual relationships. It's like, oh, in porn, you know, you just do it. I think I'll just do it with my girlfriend. And they're actors. Right. So, so one of the things that sex educators really recommend is that we do we talk about something called porn literacy, where we're helping our young people to understand what's real and what's not real in pornography. And that really should go hand in hand with what we call comprehensive sex education, which is talking about healthy relationships and intimacy, communication in relationships, obtaining consent throughout a sexual interaction, and uh, and a focus on on sexual pleasure and especially sexual pre pleasure for girls and women. This is a big part of rape culture that we fail to acknowledge or affirm girls and women's desires for sexual pleasure during intimate encounters. So what can we do? What can our nation do? What can we as individuals do? What can parents do? What can friends do? Um, and we're not talking about what friends can do if someone comes to, to me and says I've been raped. But what can we do in our everyday activity to, rec one, recognize this rape culture that we live in, and then, two, take steps to, as you say, dismantle it? There are a lot of things that I propose in the book that we can do. So perhaps the first thing that I think is really important is to examine and dismantle toxic gender stereotypes. So by creating two little boxes and we say, this is what men are like and this is what women are like, we are limiting everyone. It is not healthy. And in particular, this toxic masculine stereotype that men need to be strong and aggressive and um, and especially sexually aggressive in order to be manly, 
that is damaging. It's damaging for men. It's damaging for women. I'd like to see a culture where men are able to express their gentleness, their kindness, their care for their partners. And to each other, man to man. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I, I watched last night the winning of the World Series. Mm-hmm. And the camaraderie and the gentleness and the enthusiasm and the love and the respect that all the players had for each other, their hugs were so sincere. And that needs to be part of our new culture, so to speak. I'm so glad you brought that example up because in the sports and sporting events and and being a sports fan is one of the few contexts in American culture that we allow men to express that way with each other. And that's really limiting for men that they can't have that in other contexts. So I part of why I think it's really important to have this conversation with boys and men is that dismantling rape culture is better for everyone. Exactly. It it's not just something that will prevent women from being assaulted, but it will allow men to be their full selves. Because I think often and maybe there is some truth um to the idea that it was a moment where a man lost control when there is an interaction that is not consensual on both parts. I'm not saying that it was right, but if we all learn how to really talk, talk openly and freely about what we want, our need to be safe, stopping at the moment when consent's no longer there, and being able just to have control over ourselves allows us to has that, have that freedom that you emphasize in the book. Freedom from assault. Freedom from fear, so to speak. Yeah, let, that's a really good point, I think. Pretty much every woman I know, myself included, has had a sexual interaction that we wish hadn't happened. But we're not going to call it rape, but it wasn't good. And in many cases, my case in particular, I decided it was safer for me to have sex with this person than to say no because I was afraid of what this person would do. Okay? So I that is not what I call enthusiastic consent, right? That is called a survival strategy. So if we're having more open conversations about what good, positive, healthy sexual interactions are like, it would be helpful. So another thing that I think is really useful is to examine and identify and try and dismantle double standards, right? Uh, and to, and for, for men to have a sense of what the experience of women is like. When you talk to women about the ways in which they move through their world in order to keep themselves safe, the things they do or don't do, they'll give you a, very, a really long list. Men never have to, or very rarely have to think about those things. Uh, queer men, trans men, definitely. But regular old cishet men, they very rarely have to think about, should I go through that parking lot? Should I take the elevator to the parking deck? Should I take the stairs? Should I have my keys in my hand? Um, you know, they're not making these constant safety calculations. 
So I would like to see men and boys be aware that women are making those calculations and consider ways they can alleviate those. So if you're with a group of men and you're walking down the street and you guys are having a great time and you're laughing and joking and there's a a lone woman walking toward you, she is going to feel unsafe. So you could cross the street. You could do something that would make her feel safer, right? There are ways in which if you have a sense of what the experience of women in the world is, you can change your behavior to make it better. And to acknowledge it. To acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. What else? Uh, I think we really need to be more critical about how we assess our media. We need to be able to identify sexual objectification in the media. There is a wonderful website, hilarious website, called The Headless Women of Hollywood. (laughs) And it is just a collection of movie posters that only show, like, boobs or butts or legs or, you know, this is not a person. We do not need her head in this picture. It is irrelevant. All we need is to objectify her body. Once you start paying attention to things like that, they stand out everywhere. You know, where are there ads where we see violence on in the advertisement? There are a lot of high fashion photo shoots where maybe the belt, the Gucci belt or whatever it is that's being sold, is around a woman's neck. And there's a handsome young man who has a hold of it. Ew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we start paying attention to those things. Um And then I think another key thing we can do to dismantle rape culture is to understand and be reflective about our reaction to stories of assault or rape. Is your first impulse to say, what did she do? Is your first impulse to say, she's probably lying? Is your first impulse to say, oh, he looks like such a nice guy. He never would have done that, right? That's part of rape culture, right? There was an assumption. There were lots of things in the, if you'll remember the case about uh, the Stanford swimmer who raped a woman behind a dumpster. A lot of the media discussions and even the uh, statements in the courtroom had to do with how he was a potential Olympic swimmer. He was a good boy. He was a good student. We should make excuses for what he's done because of all these other things. That is definitely part of the rape culture. Absolutely. There is, there is an assumption that, that real rape, I'm making air quotes right now, is a, a virginal woman who is captured by a horrible monster who rapes her so violently there is massive physical damage, and that's the kind of rape that you get a conviction for in court, Right. The Stanford case was pretty clear because the woman was unconscious. And yet, the judge in that case thought she probably had consented. She was drunk. The fact that she was drunk and at a party, flirting with guys, prob- you know, that, that sort of implied she wanted that, right? Uh, so there are all these misconceptions that we have around dramatic cases like that. And it's worth paying attention to how we respond and trying to step back and say, okay, well, would we have the same response if that this had been a, a homicide? I don't think we would. 
I think what what's interesting in your book, and and we're running out of time, but what's interesting is what you offer up as far as real facts. We'll call it real news, real information about how often women are believed, how often men are convicted, men and or women, because there are incidences, but generally women are the majority of victim being victimized by by a rape. But more importantly than the act itself is you're asking us to look at how we go to quick opinions and quick questions in our culture because it's culturally, even though we would say, oh, no, it's not okay, it is okay by just the way we handle elementary school protests by young girls. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, as one grows up and the different messages of a culture, whether it's on TV or the media or how we dress or how we approach inappropriate comments, that culture is doing more damage to our society than we know. It's leaving us unsympathetic, without empathy. It's leaving us scared. Mm -hmm. And so in closing, what, what would you like to say is the final message of your book, Dismantling the Rape culture in our country? Well, maybe I should just read a little bit from the very end. So I interviewed a lot of people and I asked them, what would a world without rape culture look like to you? And I thought the responses were amazing. For example, from my friend Jim, it would be nice not to worry about my daughter walking home at night or any time really. So there's a dad expressing his desire that his daughter would feel safe. Uh, another woman responded, I almost can't conceive of a world where I go for a walk by myself without half an ear turned over my shoulder and my phone or keys clutched in my hand. What would it be like to be able to stride through the forested paths in the moonlight and just feel the night air on my skin, not that constant tightness in my chest and adrenaline pushing my steps? Another respondent said, when both men and women are free to say either no or yes to sex without fear of shame, violence, or retribution. I think that's really powerful. And it also means when we can be open and honest with the one we care about, that just brings us closer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, being able to talk about what we do and don't want sexually builds intimacy in relationships. It's better for relationships. And with with the onset of the iPhone and social media, the need to connect becomes more and more apparent. I want to thank you, Amber, for being with us. There's so much more that we can explore with this rape culture. Again, Amber Kaiser is the author of No More Excuses, and her proposals give us a lot of food for thought, give us food for thought, so that possibly we really can have an environment where everyone, men and women, boys and girls, LGBTQ, transgendered people, everyone feels safe because we're looking at our culture and the negative parts of what 
promote violence and assault and rape. Thank you so much for having me here today. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations.